Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2. And if you're able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Let's pray together. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we come together and we bow before you and we read your word. And at this time of year, we are reminded of the gift that you have given to us. We are reminded of the centrality of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're reminded of what a joyful time to remember what a celebration it is to think of what you have done, to be reminded of the sacrifice and the treasure that you have given. We pray that as we contemplate the Lord Jesus Christ, that our hearts would see him for who he really is, that we would behold his glory and be transformed by it. For our good and for your glory, we pray. 
Amen. You may be seated. I want to begin by saying a special thanks to Dan and the choir. It's always a treat for me, uh, Cantata Sunday. Not only are the cantatas, I think, rare, musically speaking, in this day and age, but also I'm especially appreciative because the cantata directs our attention to where it should be, to the Messiah. It's such a great reminder to be focused upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our attention should be, and that's where I want to keep it in the brief time that we have remaining. First, let's consider, there's notes in your bulletin. If if you haven't taken them out already, you can. That'll help direct us. Let's consider how the Messiah came to us and what manner or mode did he come to us. He came to us first as a human. Now, that's not news to most of us. We're talking about a birth. We know that the Messiah came as a human, but it's essential. He came as one of us. He came as a human. We saw, as we read, that he was born. He was born. He he did not appear one day, but he was born. He was conceived in Mary's womb, and he was born. Now, at Christmas time, we celebrate his birth, so it's pretty hard to miss the fact that he was born. But think about the implications of that. The Messiah was born. Births are not clean events. When a baby comes, he doesn't come clean and neat and smiling. When a baby comes, he comes with pain, with fear, with blood. When the baby comes, rarely is the baby presentable, but he comes out wet and red probably with a layer of vernix and baby pimples. And this is how Christ came, at least initially screaming and flailing. It wasn't until after the birth that this was a silent night, because during the birth it was not silent. It was a real birth, a human birth. He came as a human. He was born. Second, we know he came as a human because he was wrapped. He was wrapped. This amazes me. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths. Now, I say wrapped, not swaddled. Just to emphasize, he was wrapped up. Now, when you're cold and you lie down on a bed, if someone's going to help you, get you warm, they don't wrap you up. They just lay a blanket on you. And that shows us the difference between what was happening with Christ and what happens with you and I. But everyone who's had a baby knows when you have a baby, you've got to wrap it up. You have to swaddle it. It's not just a blanket. It's to constrain him because every mom knows what happens when a baby comes out arms flailing. He'll scrape himself, scratch himself, and he'll never calm down unless you wrap him up. And so Christ is wrapped in swaddling cloths. He's wrapped up. He needed the constraint that every one of us did as a child. 
He too had undeveloped muscles. He too had to learn self-control because he came out of the womb just like you and I, completely helpless, without any power to take care of himself. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths. He had to learn self-control and coordination. It wasn't the magic baby Jesus with the halo, smiling as he comes out, talking to Joseph while the umbilical cord's being cut. He was a baby just like you, just like me, a real human baby. Third, he was laid in a manger. He was laid in a manger. There's at least two reasons it's significant that he was laid in a manger. First, as we were saying, as a real human, he as a real human newborn, he didn't climb into the manger. He was laid in it. What does that tell you? He had to be cared for. He had to be taken care of. That's what we experience as infants, as newborns, and he was the same. Second, it's significant because he shows, it shows the humility that he had in his life. He wasn't born with all the nobility that we would expect. He wasn't born at the peak of the social ladder. He didn't experience the luxuries of a rich and wealthy life. But instead, he was born and placed in a feeding trough, a place where animals would eat from. That's all they had to place him. They had no crib. They didn't have any of the luxuries that we expect today. So our Messiah came as a human, but that's not all. He also came as God. Before I mentioned that we know this from Luke, I also want to show you that before, or not only is he born as a human, not only does he come as a human, but he's also coming as God. Before I go further, I, I don't want you to think that what I just said contradicts everything I have said. The fact that he comes as God does not in any way negate the fact that he came as a human. Now, that's really hard for us, isn't it? Because we think, well, if he came as a human and he came as God, surely all the God stuff took over the human stuff and really he just came as God. No, no. He really came as a human. He experienced what we did, the weaknesses, the sufferings that we do. But he also is God. He was not only human, he was also divine. He came as God. Now, I see at least three divine characteristics in, in Luke, three ways that we can, we can identify him as God. Number one, he was Savior, he came as Savior. What did the angel declare to the shepherds? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. He is a Savior. Now that Savior is not just a human hero. That Savior is God. Even Mary herself said in the Magnificat, My soul rejoices in God my Savior. She knew who her Savior was. Her Savior was God, and it is Christ who is the Savior. So while he is human, he is also more than human. Not only was he Savior, he was also Christ. He was the Messiah. Christ means Messiah. 
They're the same word in different languages. Messiah is divine. The angel said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, who is Messiah. And it was the great King David who said of this Messiah, This is my Lord. He called the Messiah his Lord. And so Christ, the Messiah, points to the fact that he is also divine. Third, we see that Christ was Lord. The Messiah was Lord. He came as Lord. That is also what the angel said. This day in the city of David, a Savior is born. Who is Christ the Lord? He is our Lord. When Mary came to her cousin Elizabeth, do you remember the words of Elizabeth? What what is the reason? Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should visit? And Elizabeth, even while Christ was still in the womb of Mary, called him her Lord while he was still in the womb. So that is how Messiah came. He came as human, but he also came as God. The two aren't mixed. They're not confused. He is truly human and truly divine. Now, why is that such good news? Why is that so special, so meaningful? Why is Christmas such a jubilant time? It's not just because of those facts but the implications of those facts. Why does the Messiah's coming bring us joy? Number one, because he came as one of us, we have much to celebrate. Number one, he can sympathize with us. We rejoice as that he came as a human because that means he knows what we go through. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. The author of Hebrews says, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. If Christ hadn't come as one of us, if he hadn't come as a human, then he couldn't really sympathize with us. He would not understand our weaknesses and our suffering. But because he came as one of us, we rejoice in his coming because that means he can sympathize with us. He knows our sorrows. He knows our sufferings. He knows our frailties. That is good news. If you've ever had a king or a president who doesn't know what you're going through, you know how sad it is that they don't know about you. You know that because they lived a different life, they have no idea what the common person goes through. That is not like Christ. He came and he suffered like we do. He knows what we're going through. Second, because he came as one of us, he can also relate to us. He can relate to us. He feels the same weakness and and, and temptation that we feel. Again, the author of Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
He knows what we go through. He knows the temptations that we face. It couldn't have been an angel that God sent to save us because an angel can't relate to us. It had to be one of us. And so Christ came, and with that comes good news. He can relate to us. He knows our temptations. Third, he came as one who can represent us. He can represent us. Not only can he feel compassion for us, not only can he sympathize with us and relate to us, but he can represent us. Because he came as a human, because he came truly in the flesh, he can represent us. Again, from Hebrews, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for their sins. It couldn't have been an angel because an angel couldn't represent us. He came as a human, and because of that, he can stand in our place and make propitiation for our sins. He can pay the price for the sins that we have earned. We also rejoice in his coming, not only because of the implications of his humanity, but because of the implications of his divinity. He came as one not only who can relate to us, he not only came as one of us, but he came as one who is above us. And that is very good news. If he came just as our friend and equal only, there would only be so much to rejoice in. But he came as one who is above us. We delight in the reality that he can represent us, but we need more than representation. We need the power to forgive. We see three different ways that he comes as divine and we rejoice in his divinity. One, he can comfort us. Not only does he sympathize with us and relate to us, but maybe you've experienced this. A friend of yours is suffering and you're talking with them and trying to comfort them. But all you can do is be there. You don't have any way that you can actually comfort them. There's nothing you can do to change their heart, their outlook, their feelings. And you feel the weakness, the inability that you have to comfort. But Christ is not like that. He is God. He can truly comfort. He can change our despair. He can turn it into rejoicing. He can comfort us in our affliction. And so we rejoice at his birth because we know it will bring our hope and our comfort. Second, he can save us. He can save us. A Messiah who was merely human perhaps could deliver himself, but a Messiah who was only human could not save us from our sin. He would have to deal only with his own. Our Messiah comes as one who can represent us, and because he is divine, he can remove the sin of every one of us. He can save us. That is why we say joy to the world. The message is, if your trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ and not yourself, you too can be saved. You too can be forgiven of your sin, not by your own goodness, but by the goodness of the Messiah that we rejoice in. What joyful news. 
John says in 1 John, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So great is His sacrifice, so great is His death, that there is no one in the world who is beyond His salvation. And He presents that to you too. You too can be saved. We also rejoice not only because He can save us, but because He will reign over us. He will reign over us. Now that might not sound like good news, I don't know. But it is. He will reign over us. We rejoice because we will have a king. One who will guide and direct. One who will rule. But not in the ruling that we are used to. Not by the kings that we are used to. We know especially in this nation, we want nothing to do with the king because every king that we've ever known does what? Uses us for, our, for his good. That's all his people are for, are serving him. But this king is totally different. He comes to serve us. He comes to give us treasure, not to take our treasure. He comes not to tax us because he's weak, but he comes to serve and minister to us. Isaiah the prophet, 600 years before Christ was born, said this in in prophetic utterance, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This kingdom, this king, this reign will establish peace on earth. That is a king that I can rejoice in. That is a reign that I look forward to. Not one only that I can serve, but one who I know will also serve me. That is a king worth rejoicing in. His coming brings us such joy because he brings comfort. He brings salvation. He comes as a king. He sympathizes with us. He knows our sufferings. And it's only him who can save us and deliver us. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. Our Savior reigns. Now, let me ask one question in closing. What if, what if his coming doesn't bring me any joy? Some of you I know are here today and you're thinking, yeah, yeah. I've heard that before. That's all a bunch of myths. It's all a bunch of stories. It doesn't give me much joy at all. And I just, I want to leave you with this. We don't have time to, to we don't have much time to go through it, but this, this is what I want to challenge you with. If his coming does not bring you joy, if his coming does not delight your soul, consider these three possibilities. Number one, you may not want his comfort. It may be that you do not want his comfort. And you don't rejoice in his coming because you think you're good enough. You think everything's just fine right now. You're at a good point in your life. Things aren't that bad. You don't need his comfort. You've got it taken care of. Please, consider what foolish foolishness that is. That you think your life is going well now, that it will always continue that way? 
you know it won't. You know, even if you're surrounded by wonderful friends, that they won't last. You know that your job can't possibly go as well as it has been going. You know it won't last. Don't put your hope in your circumstances now. Look to someone greater than that. Second, you may not want his salvation. It may be that you don't want his salvation. Maybe you think you're good enough on your own. Maybe you think you're going to go to heaven because you've lived a pretty good life and you know people worse than you who are Christians, so you think you're going to go to heaven. Don't fool yourself. If you think that you will make it into heaven, that you will stand in the presence of God and on your own merit pass him, you're sadly mistaken. Anyone who knows how righteous and holy God is or who knows how sinful and wretched we in our hearts are, knows that that is a myth. You will not stand before God on your own. Or perhaps you may not want His reign. Perhaps you may not want His reign. You look at a king and you say, no way, no king, no Lord, I will do it my way. This king comes for one reason. He comes to die. This is a king who isn't interested in your money. He's not interested in your wealth. He is interested in your soul. And he comes to die on your behalf if you will put your trust in him. Can you behold such a king who would give his life for us, his lowly citizens, Can you behold such a king and not rejoice at his birth, knowing what his birth will bring? That's what's so wonderful about Christmas, that we can remember his lowly origins, his exalted end, and we can rejoice in what God has done through our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, make in our hearts it real that Christ is human, that he came as one of us, that he knows what we go through. And make it real also, Lord, in our hearts, for it is real, that he be God. May we grasp the significance of his humanity and his divinity, knowing that both are necessary and both cause joy. May the celebration of our hearts this Christmas not be about family. May it not be about gifts. May it not be about time off only. But Lord, may it be about Christ and the great Savior that he is and the hope that we have in his coming which can bring to us the salvation of our souls. We pray in his name. Amen. Dan comes to lead us in our final song.